What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Today in New York, it is May 4, 2023. Three years ago, today, we launched Sweathead as a series of online courses. I mean, we launched this summer camp and I made 100 classes in 100 days, totally burnt out all the time, but it really kicked Sweathead into being more than just a Facebook group and a podcast that was sort of edited, but always a little bit raw. And uh, to celebrate the occasion, we've launched a report called What Strategists Want From Work. And I'm going to talk to you about the highlights of that today. I'll run through the places, the agencies and the brands that strategists want to work at. And I also want to talk to you about ageism in the industry. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff focusing on the career of the strategist today. It, just reflecting on the past three years since the pandemic, it's been super interesting. I mean, there have been so many phases it was really just me and sort of a podcast editor here and there three years ago, although I edited or did not edit a lot of the early podcasts. And it's just, it's weird because I love turning up in a lot of the formats that I turn up in podcasts and Sweathead, as many of you know, if you've been following the journey has been a, a way for me to self-actualize, a way for me to become more of who I think I am and who I want to be. And I'm, I'm older than many of you, probably most of you these days, and I'm still trying to become that. Uh, that thing, that person that I want to be more creative, uh, more, more prolific. And so it's really interesting to reflect back on certain milestones. And what's also interesting is uh, the book I published in 2020 on which Sweathead's original classes and all of my training were built. Uh, we're getting the third print run in a week or two, which is sold. I think it's 5,000. I don't think it's five and a half thousand. Maybe it's five, I think it's 5,000. It could be five and a half thousand copies that we've sold. We've got the 50 copies left, which might be going to the one bookstore that the book is available in, which is in Slovakia. Shout outs to Rot's Book Deli. Pretty sure that's the name off the top of my head. There's a chance that I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks because I'm going to Bulgaria, which I'm excited about. Uh, as I reflect just through the past few years, creating content, trying to understand this community, thinking through the different surveys that we've done, it's... I don't know. It's really, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people are flailing. They're excited, but flailing, want to have meaningful careers, trying to have meaningful careers. A few places get it right, 5%, 10%, but the, the most, are, most are struggling. Most are struggling. I mean, it has, they have to be by definition. 5 to 10% of anything can be good and the rest maybe not as good. So everyone's trying to work out how to survive, how to thrive, how to grow. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll go through some of that with the, the report today. Maybe what I should do, actually, just to whet the appetite, I'm going to tell you the five brands, the five companies that, as in non-agency companies, it's, it's funny how we, in advertising, say things like client side or brand side, the way that we see the world from our agency-centric point of view, like we're the earth and everything's rotating around us. But the top five companies that people want to work at the strategists, the ones that we surveyed, we had about 120 respondents. And I have to I have to say, like, we used to get a ton more respondents. I think we've had too much going on this year. We've been struggling with our, our tech as well, trying to keep up with things. I've, I've been feeling a bit burnt out just working on the website, making sure it works. About to switch into content creation mode as in course creation mode. But we used to get, I mean, we did a, a survey called the Sweathead Feelings Check-In a couple of years ago just to see how people were feeling, pandemic vibes we had about 550 respondents um when i would post on instagram and all kinds of places we get a ton of responses and it's a, it's a bit different now I, I did hear that since 2020 for example with podcast listens there were like a million podcasts before the pandemic and then i think that year or within a year or two there were like five million everyone's launching newsletters and podcasts and 
there's a lot going on while a lot of people are burning out. So the top five companies that people want to work at are these. Patagonia, number one. Nike, number two. I did go to the cinema to watch Air the other day. 42nd Street, West 42nd Street in New York. Maybe the room we were in would fit 50 to 60 people. It was weird. It felt a little bit like business school. It was probably the widest audience I've ever been in a cinema with in New York. New York's pretty diverse. It might have been very touristy. There were like business guys coming in on a Saturday. Maybe they were at a conference. It was raining outside. It was kind of like the widest. Don't don't be triggered by me saying white. It's okay. Uh, Kind of the widest and most businessy school cinema thing that I've ever been in and it was interesting because they were advertising before the movie other kind of business movies coming out a lot of you might have watched Tetris I didn't really get into it I felt uh, really wanted to get into it didn't quite crack it for me uh succession you know there seems to be this growing genre of business movies and tv shows often autobiographical or biographical but not always so that was interesting to see Spotify comes in at number three and then we have Lego and Netflix. And I, and I think, you know, well, why? Why these brands? And, um, you know, Mike Grassi asked me on Twitter, why do you think Patagonia is number one? And I, and I think talking to a lot of younger strategists, it's not just young, but it's a lot. People are struggling with capitalism. We saw that in, in our earlier report, the strategy, strategist survey. What was it? The strategist feelings check-in. I don't know. I like weird names and then I forget them, which probably makes the point about not, using weird names but look I think with Patagonia there's a few things going on one it seems like it's doing meaningful work you know obviously there's an irony here okay it's a capitalist company it's making money and it tries to take care of its people it says it does a little bit better than many other companies it's a little bit more conscious uh, from an American point of view it's a little bit European compared to many of the other companies so that's one two it's a cool brand it's been around people wear it you know, people want stories to tell about where they work. There's something that was published in Fast Company about 10 years ago, especially younger people. They want stories to tell about where they work. I think there's also the allure that because Patagonia is known for a few campaigns in which there was a business decision, such as, you know, closing a store or the stores on, uh, was it Black Friday? I can't remember. That the strategist might think that they're going to be able to influence those kinds of decisions, and I, I got to say, I, I, you got to be careful of this idealism, because you probably won't. Uh, I have a, I've heard the history of where that idea came from because I was working in a big PR, one of the biggest PR firms in the world, who was working with them and and all that kind of stuff. You just got to be careful of that idealism because I think a lot of strategists they, they want to impact the business in a more meaningful way, and some of us buy into these these stories, these thoughts that our bosses tell us. I did, and then. You kind of pitch and you pitch and you pitch and you get a few years into the industry or a few years into the company you're working at. And it's, it's very rare, very rare for an outsider to really be able to affect the insides of a company. And it's also very hard for companies to change. Most change initiatives fail, according to research published in Harvard, Harvard Business Review. And, uh, you know, companies tend to stay the same. Cultures tend to lock in. It's very hard for change to happen. Very hard. Not impossible, but we're talking single digit percentages of companies are capable of change in the time horizon that you'd be okay with. I really believe that. I'm, I'm not making it up, but you know, I don't have research to point at. So Patagonia is cool. It seems meaningful. It gives you stories to tell. People are struggling with capitalism and they still want to earn money though, don't they? Still want to buy stuff on Amazon. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that Patagonia is um, reaching out. A lot of reasons that Patagonia seems magnetic to people. The other brands, I think, they're just cool brands. They have a, a long history of doing good creative work. 
I've heard different things about the work cultures of some of these places. Again, things aren't always as they seem on the outside, but congratulations to all of these companies for our little report for being listed. And later I'll go through the agencies and, uh, and various other things. As far as quick sweathead updates, we have so much going on and we actually decided to pull some events or some of the stuff we were doing in June to give ourselves a better shot at communicating what we've got happening for the rest of the year. This year, a lot of what we were trying to do is we launched new memberships. So we got, you know, starter mode, flight mode, beast mode. And we were just trying to work out how to even out some of the revenue because we really just had online courses, my training or company consulting, and then the do together for the past couple of years. And this year we decided to launch masterclasses and a variety of other things. So, but also we feel like we've been lagging for a few months just behind where we wanted to be. a little bit because our website has been tricky. There have been some gremlins in it and the team's working today, tomorrow, potentially relaunching it. A lot of hacking attempts as well, like thousands and thousands per month uh, since the start of the year. Bit stressful, bit stressful. We do have a masterclass coming up, The Art of Deck Making with Aisha Hakim, who's an ACD at 72 and Sunny. Aisha is actually listed as one of the bosses that people want to work for in our report. That's kind of cool. Uh, the episode after this will be an interview with Aisha, big on Twitter, and I know there's a lot of interest in people improving how they make decks, because most decks suck. We did have a masterclass planned with one of the world's most awarded strategists, Taha Braze, who's the CSO of Publicis Menat, M-E-N-A-T, Middle East, North Africa, and Turkey, in June. But what we've decided to do is to kind of combine his masterclass with a masterclass on comms planning, with Maria Van Buskirk from Media by Mother. She runs comms planning there. We're going to do a two-week cohort in September. Yeah, it's September. So we'll split their master classes up into smaller classes over two weeks, give you all a project. Details about that will hit the website soon. Before that, though, we've got a summer camp. We're just starting to gear up to announce it. July 18 to August 10. And we got a really, really cool lineup. Uh, it has been interesting. We've we've been trying to find new people, which can always be a little bit of a risk. And we did let we let ourselves down with WTF, the Effing Effectiveness Festival. My team reached out to like twenty five to thirty people. We were trying to reach out to people in academia, uh, usually majority non white men, by the way, just for the record. And my team is majority non white men also. And we just didn't hear back from people or the academics weren't interested. They didn't get it. Maybe they have holidays or they were teaching. And so we ended up with a very uh, skewed is not even the correct word. We ended up with a very white uh, event, which is not what we've ever tried to do. And then time got ahead of us and we went with it. And that's not to ever talk down about the, the amazing people who talked at that event. It's so cool. And if you're a Sweathead member, by the way, in the coming month or two, you'll be able to access those videos on the Sweathead website. Uh, but with the summer camp, we've got a, a you know, if, look look at the do-togethers from the past two years. Look at the people we've interviewed on the podcast. We usually have like a pretty good array of talent, different backgrounds, different people presenting differently. I don't always have the language for this, by the way. Forgive me. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, but with the summer camp, what we've got is four weeks. It's called the C Word Awakening. We're going to do four weeks on the four Cs. And we've got teachers to do something on the four Cs but there are really six that we're going to go into. So company truth, consumer truth, category truth, or competitor truth, and then what did, what did I miss? Cultural truth. 
in the middle, we're calling that, so if you know the four C's, which most of you would, in the middle, we're calling it the center bit. So we've got another C there, and I'm gonna do something on that. And then we've got a sample of comms planning. So Maria Van Buskirk will do a little comms planning session as part of the four week summer camp. This is the most accessible training that we've got that's live. You get access to it as a member. You can come in with a starter mode membership. It's $195 a year. You get access to the summer camp, as well as the Slack community and a whole bunch of online courses. Teachers, the teachers we've got for this, we've got Tass Sisopoulos, Group Strategy Director Wyden and Kennedy, he's been crushing it with McDonald's. You might have heard the interview we did with him at the start of the year. Dylan Viner, they're doing great at Triptych. He's founder, Triptych, maybe co-founder, founder. Jenny Chang is back. Jenny's awesome. So good, so good. I want to publish a book with her. Don't tell her. No, we've talked. We talked recently. I want to publish books, your books, but I don't know what the model is just yet. I know the models that are available are not great. And I also know that the chances of a book doing well and being profitable are not great. And so slowly trying to work out how to help get other people's ideas out there, but in a way that's, I don't know, more equitable, but also profitable. Those two things have to go together. Nick Susi, who was at Complex recently, he is now at dot dot dash slash TBWA. He will be talking about cultural truth. We're going to have a big session, a big day, two to three hours on culture. Everything else will be an hour. Seth Gaffney, we have to we had to bring in Seth. He's going to talk about company truth. He's a co-founder of Preacher down in Austin. They're just so good at their own brand, at owning their own company truth, but also as a strategist, he'll be able to talk to us about how to identify the company truth in the four C's for clients. Christina Pansolini, former intern. She interned with uh, me and a crew of people, Rosie Jacob from Rosie and Ferris, Becky Wang and a few of us. Christina interned with us 12 years ago. Now she's all grown up. Oh my God. So she will be doing a session with... Uh, a friend, colleague, Chain Rennie, who's from Wyden and Kennedy. I'll be doing something, Maria Van Buskirk, Little Taste of Comms Planning, and Simone Pratt, who some of you might have seen at one of our events last year. Uh, Simone will be, she's Simone's a VP at Saatchi and Saatchi, and she'll also be in our big day of culture. You know, we figure that the strategists are super interested in culture because they're interested in it for themselves, let alone how it can help them in their work. So the summer camp's gonna be massive. Bulgaria, May 18 and May 19, doing a masterclass and also presenting at DigiTalk. Uh, we're bringing a kiddies pool on stage. Ecuador, we have three masterclasses, June 5 to 9, Cuenca, Guayaquil, Quito. Georgia, probably appearing at Ad Black Sea at the conference and then doing a masterclass. I believe we've got a bank sponsoring, sponsoring that so that we can make that happen. Peru, October, Accelerator, four-week Accelerator in October. Do Together, November, we're still thinking about what all of that is. Last week, I recorded a course on writing, finding your voice. Uh, we're going to call it something like uh, write your way into public, something like that. It needs to be a little bit better. But that was the first course I've actually sat down to record really since the pandemic. I, I feel super awkward. I overshare these things. I, I know I'm listing all the things that you can buy from us. I know that. But I'm also sharing it because some of you are curious about having your own little entrepreneurial business venture. And I don't know. I, I this stuff turns me on. I really get excited by it. But I sat down to film uh, the course last week. It's first time in ages. And yeah, real mental block, mental block. In retrospect, I should have been trying to record a course every month or two for the past two years. But just, you know, battling the burnout stuff and aging, you know, seeing yourself on camera as you age. Oh, gosh, who needs that? So we have lots of stuff coming up. All right. Now, what I will now do is list the agencies that the strategists say that they want to work at. Here's some content. This is in our report where strategists want to, uh, what strategists want from work. 
Number one. No, no, we got to do a countdown. Oh, how tricky. How tricky. Number 10, Dentsu. Number nine, Gut. Doing great work. I should, maybe I shouldn't add color commentary. I should be independent, right? Number eight, BBH. And I know this, I've heard there's changes happening in some of these companies and the way they're structured in different parts of the world and how they fit into holding companies. If you're going through that right now, it's such a head, the F word. It's such a head. Because when you're in it, you're like, oh. But once you've been around for a while, you're like, oh, this stuff happens every two or three years. And increasingly, I hear these stories in New York about agencies that used to take up entire buildings, maybe 10 floors, sort of shrinking and then being put into a floor or a corner of a floor with all the other agencies of the holding company. It's, it's weird out there. Number eight, BBH. Number seven, 72 and Sunny. Number six, Saatchi and Saatchi. Number five, Ogilvy. Number four, TBWA. Number three, Mischief. This is the agency, no fixed address. Is there, I don't really understand how that name works. I need to talk to them because I know them. Uh, not the kind of innovative, entrepreneurial, doing sneaker drop collaborations, mischief.xyz, but this is the agency. Two is Wyden and Kennedy, and number one is, is Droga5. So there you go. They're the places that our strategists, the people in our community, say that they want to work. So that's cool. Interesting. And I, I've got to tell you, there's this quote from Alana Bryant that I'll, I'll mention on this podcast, I don't know, at least every year, when I interviewed her. Alana has had massive roles, awesome person. She was, I guess, one of the first American strategists to work in London in the 1990s. And she said in an interview with her a few years ago that when they were thinking about where to work, they wouldn't work in an agency where the head of planning or some, some planner at some point, if, 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 they, if there wasn't a name of a planner in the name of the agency, you know, as one of the acronyms, the letters in the acronym. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. That's, I never thought that because I was always trying to chase the next thing. And when I, when I moved to New York, I started at Saatchi and Saatchi, I left after six months. It, I, I did feel I went a little bit backwards, sorry. Sorry, it just felt like I went back 10 years. It was really old school, conservative, really corporate for me. I was like, what, what am I doing? I didn't, we didn't feel like we had support. We all left, like Rosie Farris, uh, sorry, not Rosie Farris, Rosie Yakov, my friend Becky Wang, she ran, went to run head of uh, analytics, data and analytics at Droga5. I need to sort out how I speak. I seem to be tripping over myself. I'm nervous about what I'm about to say, so I'll keep it nice. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was weird because I felt a deep appreciation for being brought over here and the job. It, it just was weird to turn up to work every day. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to succeed here because it doesn't seem like, it just didn't, that energy wasn't there. But very different from what I was hearing at the time about London and, you know, Sydney, uh, Saatchi in New Zealand, I think is high-performing. But I do believe that the, that the New York office uh, has been doing some pretty cool work and the, the culture shifted as well. Sorry to talk like this. Maybe I shouldn't have talked. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm just trying to be real because, man, this stuff can mess with you. You know, I had a few career choices where I was like well, I seem to be really bad at making these decisions and then I see this list and I'm like oh you know and I met with some of these people you know David I sat with David Droger 12 years ago and and Johnny Bauer and um I was like I don't know I, you know I guess because I'd done well you know published a hip-hop magazine and been on radio and done events I was used to the free-flowing nature of just doing my own thing and I was nervous about going into agencies whether or not they would have actually made an offer I think it could have happened but I was just I was just like I needed to be more independent I was nervous about going to somewhere 
with like a creative department that might maybe look down on strategists. And so when I see them here as number one, it's cool. It's cool. I am not making sense. And it's because I'm trying to say something truthful and then I'm nervous that I'm going to say the wrong thing and offend people. So I apologize if I'm, I'm not making sense. So let me just get off that topic. I'll just completely get off that topic. What I will do though is I want to uh, read to you a really nice summary that a planner at McCann Manchester posted looking at our report. This is the first piece of feedback that we've seen today. So this is from uh, Jordan McDowell, who's the strategy director at McCann Manchester. And these are the highlights according to him. I'll put a link to the report in the show notes so you can go read it yourself. Okay, I won't go through the whole thing. I did write a little letter and I had fun with it. I sort of was thinking about this irony that I've heard so much of that I've experienced. You know, I talked to hundreds of strategists in a year and tens and tens of companies and CEOs and like try to work out what's going on. And I feel like there's, there's this thing that I'm going to call, it's big, the cruciality paradox, where what I believe is happening out there in 90% of places that have strategists is this. Strategists are crucial to have. Everybody wants one. We need strategists. We need strategists. That agency has strategists. We need strategists. Crucial to have, but then I also hear how so many strategists struggle to actually get traction where they work. Crucial to have, but not crucial to use. Is that a paradox? I think it is. I think the word but tells us that that's a bit of a paradox. It's at least a quote-unquote tension. And that tension is weird because the people who are living that paradox, they wake up nearly every day trying to work out how to be effective, how to hold on to a job. Many of them have got mortgages and they're paying rent. Some of them have kids and they're like, oh my God, how do, like, how do I win this game? And what is the game? So I, I think that's a big vibe out there. And the more I talk to people around the world, I, I have a feeling that the, that cruciality paradox is felt in maybe even more than 90% of agencies. So Jordan says that that was an interesting point. And then he also talks about how strategists with skill sets outside the traditional wheelhouse are in higher demand. So digital social tech, especially outside of London and comms planning is in particular shortage. He also, so this is his summary of the things that were interesting to him. Thank you for doing this, by the way, from this report. Creative cultures attract and retain strategy talent. So if you're out there and you're trying to work out how to get or keep strategy talent, then you need a creative culture. I've not looked into this in a meaningful way. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a brain fart, but every now and then I'll see these lists of like the most awarded strategists and they're usually in the most awarded creative agencies. So what's that about? Is it because they're incredible strategists or because they're in an incredible creative agency? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, it's both, both. But I also think that if you're in an incredible creative agency that's always winning awards, effectiveness awards, creative awards, whatever you're into, and I know some of you don't like awards, whatever, but I think that can be... If you're in a really creative place, you you kind of get scaled up a little bit, you know, bonus 20 points type of thing. Um, and yeah, strategists want to be where strategy is seen as integral. And what that looks like, I'll repeat this time and time again, is like strategy or account planning, it needs to be default in the systems, the way you charge, in the business model. If you've got a team out there trying to, educate the rest of the company about like how to work with us good luck good luck you've got to make it default 
you've got to make it default in the templates of job estimations or in the contracts, in the way you work. Otherwise, it's just, I mean, you're living the cruciality paradox otherwise, that you're there, but are you? You're like a phantom. Turn up to meetings, but, you know, other teams that are not used to working with people like you, do they really want you there? You kind of get in the way. And in a lot of the world, especially in the US, a lot of agencies are very account manager run. And they will often, I hear this a lot, they will often treat the strategist as like an internal service provider, especially in PR, but not just PR, social media, uh, advertising, all kinds of places. Uh, Jordan also cites two statistics. 69% of strategists don't believe they get enough training and 76% of strategists value having someone to bounce ideas off. Now, the training thing I think is interesting. Obviously, I run it, or we, I run a training business. Uh, it's, it's hard. Like a lot of the people we work with, they don't have set budgets. They don't even necessarily know if they'll be able to get a budget. And it's quite different to other kinds of businesses. So that's interesting. And then having ideas to bounce off. I, I guess what why that statistic is interesting is because a lot of strategists, they want two things. They want time to think. They want to feel a sense of authorship over the strategy. And sometimes to their peril, if they isolate too much and then appear with a document or a brief that nobody's seen and people are like, hey, just talk to us first, right? Although in some companies, you're not allowed to like, Back in the day, there are agencies that had strategy and account people on one floor, creative department on the other, and you really had to book a meeting to get any time. So some of these big agencies were very, very siloed, and the strategists were, I don't know, juniorized a little bit or looked down upon just a little bit. But I think most strategists want both things. They want to have time to think, to feel a sense of authorship because they love being in their heads, but also they want people to bounce ideas off. So they want to have alone time without being alone. And every few years, someone posts something about partner programming. I think that's what it's called. It's an idea that I, I don't know, first heard about maybe 10, 12 years ago, which is you have two software developers sitting next to each other, I think using the same computer. Uh, don't know. I haven't looked into like the real benefits of that, but I think it's just a sense of collaboration, watching each other's work, having a second mind there. And every couple of years, people are like, why don't we work in pairs as strategists? It's like, well, it's expensive, <laughs> first of all. And, uh, and I think other groups would feel a little bit overwhelmed. Some of you would work in groups, but uh, again, that's not the norm. So I will put a link to the show. I hope this episode is making sense. I'm so aware that I'm bouncing around. I've got so much stuff to say and then I'm half saying things, but whatever. We know that 50% of you are here for the ASMR experience and it's late at night where you are and I'm about to put you to sleep. Although some of you are probably pumping weights and lifting weights and on your Peloton listening to this and now I need to talk in a higher energy way. Big shout outs to the team and to everybody who responded to the survey and we also interviewed a bunch of, maybe th I think it was 13 heads of strategy whose agencies were listed in the FE index as being some of the well, being some of the most effective agencies or maybe more correctly having made some of the most effective work or even more correctly having won effectiveness awards recently. <laughs> and I'm going to interview a lot of them uh, in the past, in the next month or two. We'll find out about their cultures. We'll talk about some of their work. That'll be a big focus of Sweathead in the next couple of, next couple of months, mate. What else is going on? So we did best places to work agencies. We did uh, best places to work companies or brands. We did what strategists want from work. It's a dense report. You got to check it out. Now I want to talk to you about like why advertising careers don't last long. 
So I wrote about this in, in my little book, my little book, and I was trying to approach, it's probably a page or two. I was just trying to dig into it, the psychology in a slightly absurd way about why so few people last in advertising over the age of 50, over 40 as well. And what's interesting is, is I've talked about some of this stuff at, at events. The IPA published a report a few years ago, I believe a new report that's just come out, which I've got to have a read of, where they showed that the percentage of workforce aged 50 plus by sector, when you look at advertising, it's very low. It's single digits, right? Whereas if you look at total population, you've got, uh, I think around, I'm going to give you some round numbers, but around 30%. Uh, of the workforce is age 50 plus. Uh, and then, you know, barristers around 30% and advertising is single digits. Doctors around 25-ish percent. So the question is why? There are a couple of ways to look at it. One is why do people leave the industry? And we might do a little survey on that. I do get asked to put something together about where do people go after strategy or after advertising. So we'll do a little report on that too soon. And then also it, another way to look at this is like, why does the industry take itself out? Why does it take its own out? Just as they're potentially experienced and getting good at what they do. If you're young, you probably think you're really good. You might not, but you probably think you're pretty good. I've worked in agencies and we were pretty arrogant. We're like, yeah, we're really good. And I look back and I'm like, man, I could work. I was pretty quick. I don't know, I was pretty quick. Uh, but I can work better and faster uh, now. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that stops. Maybe it slows down from, I just turned 45. Oh, maybe it slows down two weeks ago. Getting old, getting old. So I want to share with you like five hunches. These are provocations. Five hunches about why the advertising industry takes out its own. And I, I've seen this in big ways. I've seen even some of the agencies I've mentioned on this podcast, maybe today, maybe in this episode, take out entire categories or levels of senior people as they hit 40, 50, new CEO comes in, boom, 20, 30 people gone. I think one thing to think about is there's only so much room at the top. And traditionally, the top is something you, you age into. There are a lot of agencies where the average age is late 20s, a lot. If you looked at the average age of a holding company, it can be higher but then you're taking into account a lot of the back office people as well. But if, if we look at some of the, the agencies you would all want to work in and the, the offices and the groups of the people who are really leading the work compared to the back office people, often it's you know mid to late 20s. And the leader, it's different around the world. Look, there are CSOs and CEOs probably in their 20s, definitely in their 30s in some countries in New York and in Chicago, the big kind of corporate America places, LA, leaders tend to be older tend to be 40s, 50s perhaps. Back in the day, probably 50s and 60s, but now I'd say 40s and 50s. But the, there's only so much room at the top. And I, I think one thing that can go on, subconsciously or not, is as you become a leader, you want to have a visible gap in, in power, in hierarchy. And one way to display that is by you being the oldest person and having younger people around you, a big gap there. Also, I have to admit, in Australia, I'd barely worked with anybody who'd stayed in one agency for more than a few years. And then I came to New York and, you know, been into Chicago and LA to talk to people, consider places that I'd work at. And I'm like, oh my God, someone's been in this one agency for 25 years. And my initial reaction is like, that feels really unambitious. And I, I, I felt suspicious of it. It's not a diss, okay? But that was 
that's my reaction. I was like, well, how do you stay in the one place? US is different. It's different healthcare, etc. right? So actually a more mobile workforce, it moves around a lot, which kind of flies in the face of what I just said about people, a few people staying in places for a very, very long time. But one of the reasons that I think agencies take out their own as they get older is like, it's a way to demonstrate that the older people are in charge. You have a gap between you and the younger people. That's one. Two, older people can be more expensive. I mean, typically they're gonna be more expensive. Uh, and the thing is like, as you get older, if you're good at what you do, you can be really, really effective. But you're just gonna look old. And I think as you get older, the younger people are like, what's all that about? What's all that about? Even though I think a lot of us lock in our, into our minds that we're like, There's, is it 15 to 20% younger than we are? I turned 45 in my head, I'm 36. Uh, except when I look into a mirror, I'm like, oh my God, I'm 69. What happened there? Pandemic. Ay, ay, ay. So look, older people can be more expensive. Younger people are, uh, tend to be cheaper, you know. Three, the industry's margins have been hacked. So the industry tends to hack out its middle. Each economic downturn I've seen, it's starting back in 99, 2000 with what I guess in Australia we call the dot-com crash. I don't know if it has the same name everywhere. Uh, and then also with what we called in Australia, the GFC, was that 2008, 2009, global financial crisis or the, you know, the, or the, uh, the big banking crisis in the US or global. Every time those crises happen, agencies tend to hack out the people in their 30s and 40s who are expensive. And then they don't always replace them. And then there can be this really big gap between the junior and the senior staff. And that can lead to a few things. One is the junior people often wish, they yearn for more mentorship and coaching, et cetera, and they can't get it because their bosses are so busy trying to win business or keep business. It can lead to a little bit of arrogance because it's, again, it's like a lot of young people are like, yeah, we're the best. I see that. I, I was that a little, a little, quietly. You were, you were, not me, no, a little. Uh, and, and then, yeah, they, there's this middle layer tends not to get replaced. And then you'll hear holding companies talk about salary freezes, hiring freezes, and, you know, I have a lot of accountants in the family, but they tend to run these businesses and uh, they want to keep things tight, which is how a business survives. I get it, I get it, I get it. But the, cha the challenge with this, though, is if you look at some of, I was going to say some of the research, and I know I've mentioned this before, but... There's a CEO of an agency that was bought out by a holding company and I saw a talk this person did. It was behind closed doors. It wasn't for public consumption. I don't know if it's public, but when he got bought out, he was brought in to analyze the holding company itself. And what I had heard him say in a video is something like 60% of the salaries in the holding company were for back office roles. And that mimics what's been happening in education. There's that. There's a book which I, I've not read, but I've heard the interview. I've heard the author interviewed. Is it called Boring Jobs or Jobs That Suck or something? And it talks about how in academia, people get to a certain position and they want a lot of administrative assistance because that's what all the other powerful people are doing. And that's been happening in in advertising as well. And so it's just it's unfortunate, you know, the people running things knock out the middle layer. But at the same time, they're bringing in more administrative work or workers. So that's going on. Number four, the industry is addicted to new and youth is new. You know, the, the, most, not everyone, 
I didn't realize how conservative a lot of the advertising industry was until 2020. And then you're all posting weird things about Greta Thunberg and Black Lives Matter on Twitter. I'm like, oh, really? Why, why is this the thing you got to have a point of view about all the time, every day? Like, really? Uh, in a negative way, by the way. That's what I meant. Um, no offense to anyone who's negative about those things. I don't think you need to be negative about any of those things. But one of the big five personality traits is openness, O-C-E-A-N-O, openness. Uh, it's being interested in variety and novelty. So you could say that perhaps the, the psychology of the industry at its heart, if, it, if it's truly creative, which I believe it is, it's about newness and having new people around is, is new. There's also like, look, I'm going to say this here. I'll say this here. There's also a sexual vibe. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I've seen it and I've seen senior people react to it. All kinds of people react to it, but... I don't know. People like having young things around. It's just, that's a thing. That's a thing. Don't take me out of context. I'm not saying I do. I don't, I don't necessarily need it. I like, I like, I like my nerdy thinking book reading people. That's my vibe. All right. I don't like the other thing, but I see the other thing. <laughs> I've seen the other thing in a lot of agencies. All of a sudden two or three uh, young and sexy people appear and you're like, uh, how, how did you get this job? Often their parents are connected to someone, but it's uh, various other things as well. I did not list that in the Instagram post. I don't know if I have the language for it in a way that is uh, respectful of the people who are young and sexy, but also that points out the issue and blah, 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 all of that. Uh, this, this is also, so this is the fifth point, and I think this is interesting. I think the industry tries to act a little bit rebellious and it, it thinks it wants mavericks, but it really wants obedience. It really does. And I get it. You have, there has to be a sense of conformity in companies or the, or the companies are just ca complete chaos. And a lot of our work is chaos and confusion and then boom, creative brief structure, boom, strategy framework structure, boom, I got three ideas structure, okay? But the most of it is chaos and confusion. But it's a little bit tricky. There's a little bit of gaslighting going on where you see someone turn up to work and, you know, a senior person, powerful, but maybe they turn up on Friday and they're wearing some fresh shoes and you're like, ooh, they're creative. And then over time you're like, oh, they're actually quite conservative. And you need conservative people to run established businesses. You need creative people to help grow them. But those to be very simplistic and have binaries, those two types of minds need to come together to hold the thing in place. It has to be tension, the chaos and then the growth and then the structure and then the efficiencies, all of that stuff has to work. But I, I think this is true. The industry thinks it wants mavericks but really wants obedience. And what's interesting sharing these things on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn is like seeing which number people relate to. <laughs> I do a lot of listicles and someone will write a comment like number five or they might like, if it's a Twitter thread, they might people might like one point more than others. And this is the point that the older people seem to gravitate towards. Now, it was interesting because I know a lot of other people have been writing about this for years. When I write this particular, write about this particular topic, uh, you know, I, I know that at some point I'm going to be too old, <laughs> but I'm not writing it with a sense of revenge. I have to admit, sometimes I write things, I'm like, man, I had a really bad experience there and I'm going to tell you all about it, but without naming what happened or the people or the company. But this one, I don't, I don't really have a huge gripe about it. It's just things that I've heard about and I know other people have been taken out through the pandemic. A lot of people, 40s and 50s, they lost jobs and you know, people are being told you, you might not get another one. And so that's hard. that's hard, especially if you had kids when you're older or you've got older parents, you know, 80s and 90s that you're taking care of, like mortgage, divorce, like it's really stressful. So I think these are some of the, they're the five reasons. I, I guess I gave you the sixth one, something to do with sexiness. And, look, and you know, that sexiness, you kind of, I've seen that over the years. I, 
I never really identified as being in advertising and I wasn't really in the mainstream part of the agencies till I was 28 and in my head I was really doing a hip-hop magazine and hip-hop radio I happened to work in digital agencies and a dot-com and then 28 Leo Burnett and then McCann and then all of that but and so I was always a little bit out of it you know if people went to strip clubs I didn't get invited because they know that I don't go to strip clubs if you like strip clubs great if people were doing cocaine in the bathrooms and that I didn't do that so I didn't get invited to, to any of that and so a lot of this stuff I was like I hear stories I'm like oh that stuff was happening maybe not where I was working but so yeah so I hope I hope you're not going through toxic stuff and if if you are did I just overshare again I talked my way quickly through it <laughs> so did it really happen but if you're going through toxic stuff you got to be really careful. So I read a headline of some research recently where if you're around that stuff, it can become you. You can start to copy it. But the toxic stuff is a teacher. And so if you have bad experiences, first of all, I'm sorry that you've gone through that. Those experiences can get into your skin, into your wiring, especially, especially if you're a little bit prone to the neuroticism, the dark feelings, and you're a bit of a sensitive individual, which is totally fine. Don't like it if you are sensitive and someone says, oh, you're so sensitive. Yeah, I am. I feel the world differently. Like, okay, what's your point? It's like, is that a truism? I don't know. He's telling me like a fact, so I don't know how to react to that. It's not bad or good. It's just the way I'm wired. Oh, uh, that's you, not me. I am a little bit, but you are more. Um, but the thing is, like, if you've gone through bad experiences, they're teachers and you get to learn how not to be. And maybe you get to learn that you want to be in a different part of the industry or a different industry altogether, so on and so forth. So there you go. We had a little chat today about all things to do with the career the industry and work i ran through a lot of stuff thank you to everyone who's been part of sweathead i know i find reasons to celebrate little anniversaries but you have to three years today may 4 i launched the, launched the first class I, and i tried to do it in character a few of you have seen it my hair was ridiculous i had long hair and then it just kept growing it looks so weird when i look back at it so i recently got a, a couple of haircuts none of which i like this is, what, this is what happens as you get older, kids. Uh, but yeah, the f first class I launched, I sung a song and I was trying to play in character. I don't know if the sound was any good, but you know, I needed to keep doing that if I was really going to get in touch with the character. What I want to say is thank you very much if you've been part of it, if you've picked up the book, been part of the classes that we've done, master classes, my training. I hope to see you in these other countries, Bulgaria, Ecuador, Georgia, Peru this year. And uh, I hope you're doing okay out there. It's weird. It is weird. You know, I think it was March this year in the US, we had the biggest number of job losses in the industry in, in advertising since the start of 2021. I know a lot of you are going through things, trying to work out what, what you want to do, and then you're going to hit summer, and summer can be pretty quiet. And so if you're navigating ambiguity, if you've lost a job, if you're trying to start a company, you've you got to have what I would call hair and tortoise energy. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but it's been on my mind. Hair, the rabbit type of thing, adjacent, rabbit adjacent, fast but also tortoise, maybe go for a half day walk and maybe do that on Monday, you know, not on the weekend and use that time to just see where your brain goes. You gotta work out how to have both of those energies. Whereas as an employee in advertising, you're mostly around that hair, H-A-R-E energy. So hope you're doing okay out there. Hope to see you in some of our events soon. Peace.